This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. If you're like me, you spend lots of time pouring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times to hunt will be. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store. Use the promo code TRUTH to save some money and download it today. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things you can actually buy that will help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This is the reason why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation, instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current core setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Spartan Forge. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 312. Today, I'm joined by my buddy Aaron Blisey to talk about spot and stock success on a Michigan hammer. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. Hope everyone is recovering from the Thanksgiving Day food coma and uh, maybe even recovering from from seeing family because that can also um, put you in a different type of uh, 
coma, maybe. Um, my, uh, my holiday was pretty, uh, well, actually it was pretty eventful. I actually got out on, uh, Thanksgiving morning and the plan was to go do a quick hunt in the morning and then, uh, get back for, uh, dinner with the wife and the kiddo. Uh, we weren't traveling back home. We just had recently, my wife had been back home a couple times. And, uh, so we decided, you know, I have some extra time off around the Christmas holiday. So we decided we'll just kind of stay home for Thanksgiving and we'll make our way back, uh, for Christmas to visit, to visit everyone, which the, um, I guess the, the unintended consequence of that is, is that I actually got an opportunity to, uh, get out and do a little bit of hunting on Thursday morning. The plan was just to go out, no real expectation of, uh, anything, anything too crazy, if you will, you know, to be honest, I thought probably just go out, hang out in the tree for a couple hours and, uh, probably come home and have some, have some dinner. But, um, as luck would have it, my plan was, you know, if I saw a big old nanny doe, um, that I was going to, that I was going to fill that tag, because oftentimes I have waited uh, to fill doe tags till late season, and then things either you know get in the way, other obligations start to pop up because we're outside of the core kind of hunting season, if you will, the October kind of November time frame. And so I'm a little less uh, apt to kind of push forward and uh, push plans off or whatever during that time of that time of year. My my wife is very um, understanding through September through, you know, basically December. And so whenever we hit that late season time period, I try to be a little bit more accommodating, which means I, I often don't get out quite as often as I want to. And then, you know, push comes to shove and I end up not feeling a doe tag at all. And so this year I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it a little earlier, got out. And so since, since it was a short hunt, you know, I was like, if nothing's really shaking and I'm not really seeing a whole lot, uh, then if a doe gives me an opportunity, you know, I'll take it. So as, as luck would have it, you know, I saw a couple does first thing in the morning, um, kind of snuck in pretty quiet and, uh, didn't see them in, in, until they were kind of through a shooting window, you know, and it was a, you know, big old mama doe. And then, a you know, a younger, uh, a doe looked like she was probably, you know, a yearling. And, um, uh, and, uh, I don't, I don't remember what time that was. It was shortly after first light. And then, um, just kind of hanging out, you know, sitting there, you know, hanging out in the tree and, uh, for whatever reason, I just kind of happened to look off to my, uh, right. Because I had been slipped in, I had been, uh, sneaked up on or snuck up on, um, from this particular spot in the past. Um, this is actually the same spot where I had the encounter with the, the, the shooter buck, um, the two shooters earlier. And I think it was like October 18th. And, uh, there, there's this one little spot that like, they like to slip out of that kind of surprise me, uh, in the past. And so I always kind of continually keep an eye on that. And if they come out in that direct from that direction, you know, once they get to a certain point, they're going to pick up my ground scent. Um, and then the way the wind works in there, the wind that I, you know, wanted was basically anything out of a North. I'm, I'm, I'm really good, but I'm giving up like basically the area that I'm kind of, uh, my access is through, which is, which is pretty typical. Um, but they will slip out of this little kind of like brush spot and surprise me in the past. And I had a buck do that actually last year and wasn't able to get a shot at him because by the time I knew that he was there, it was, it was too late. And you know, there's not a lot of cover there and just wasn't able to get a shot opportunity. So I was just kind of keeping an eye on it. And I saw, and I heard some kind of leaves crunching that didn't sound like squirrels. So I just kind of kept watching, kept watching. And I saw like a doe's head kind of pop out, but it's odd because once she clears like the brush line, there's really not a whole lot between her and I, and I didn't want to get drawn too soon because I really didn't know which way she was going to kind of move and so she was getting closer and closer and it's kind of the the issue with that spot is by the time they get to a position where you can really take a shot or you know where they're going to be um, they're almost too close to draw and so um luckily there was a noise in the opposite direction I think she was she was somewhere between 10 and 12 yards and she turned her head to look away from me and when she turned her head to look away from me I drew 
and uh, put an MMT arrow in her, and uh, she took off, and I heard her crash, and then that was that was that. It was uh, it was a pretty sweet deal. Um, long, a little longer track job than I would have than I would have liked, but you know, had no problems finding her. I think it maybe took me, I think it was like twenty minutes of tracking her to to find her, and. The, the area that I was hunting, there was like a, there's a swamp there and I had to use the boat to get in and stuff like that. And the fortunate thing was there was no dragging whatsoever. She actually expired, uh, in an area that I could actually get the boat into. Um, and so I was able to kind of like field dresser, let her there, throw my stuff there, my bow, my pack, like everything, just let it there. And I went and back and got the kayak and kind of kayaked up to the little area that she was, uh, she was at and loaded her into the boat and kayaked her out. And then uh, brought her home, and uh, and the kiddo and I uh, got to skin it in the garage and uh, processed her over the over the weekend. Did some grinding, cut out the the steaks, and uh, grinded up some burger meat. And we have a a dough in the freezer for the winter, which is always a uh, a good feeling. But um, the plan is to actually get out a little bit here during gun season. I'll hunt with a bow like I always do during gun season. But I think I'm gonna get up to that north piece. Um, there still just hasn't been anything as I've checked cameras around here. Not a whole lot. Aaron and I talked about uh, talk about that a little bit on this podcast, or my guest Aaron Blisey from the the Fall Podcast. Um, and uh, you know, so there's not been a whole lot around here still, even as, even as I've checked cameras, kind of you know, even through rut, you know, when you should get bucks that maybe you hadn't seen before or whatever. Um, just not a whole lot of uh, sign of proof of life. So I'm going to take some swings, take some wax during gun season, uh, with a bow. And then during late season up in the North piece. And if nothing else, just do a little bit more learning up there and, uh, put some more, you know, data in the database for future hunts up there. And, uh, I have a plan for how I'm going to attack, uh, late season. We'll see if it, uh, if it works out, but with that, uh, I want to go ahead and jump into today's show. I have a good guest. I have a cool guest for you guys today. I have my buddy Aaron Blisey on. If you don't know Aaron, Aaron runs the Fall Podcast. He is a Michigander. Uh, he does do some stuff in the outdoor industry, uh, some film stuff, editing stuff, uh, is what he does. Um, is what he does for a living. And what we really kind of talk about today, you know, I've been on his show in the, in, in the past, and, and what we kind of covered today is just in general how our seasons have gone. Um, he's had two killer hunts in, in, in October. He killed a hammer. Um, spot and stock style in Michigan, which is, you know, killing a really good deer in Michigan is, you know, equal to killing a really good deer in PA. It's not always the easiest thing to do. Just even if you're hunting private or whatever it is, you know, there's just a ton of pressure, just generally speaking. Um, he was able to fill both of his Michigan buck tags. Um, and the one is on a spot and stock, uh, in Michigan on a, a really, really good deer, a good deer that, you know, you would kill most, uh, most anywhere. Um, it's a really cool story how that all kind of played out. So with that, we're going to go ahead and just jump into today's show. And as always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the truth from the stand deer hunting podcast. And today I have on my brother, my podcasting brethren, Mr. Aaron (laughs) Blisey. What's going on, man? How are you? Good, man. How are you? Good, man. I should have said, uh, my podcasting brother that hosts the fall podcast there. um, That's more appropriate (laughs) to make sure people know who who you are and what you're, uh, what you, what you do, but what, uh, what's going on, man? How you been? Good, dude. Good. I, you know, we're, we're in, uh, November later, latter part of November coming up on Thanksgiving right now, but I'll tell you, man, um, I feel like I want to be hunting like, and I can hunt, like I've got, I, I, I filled my buck tags this year, but you know, I could travel anywhere I'd want, but I'm kind of in that mode right now where I want to like, build some brownie points for next fall and yeah. which is a huge deal because yeah. next fall i have um my biggest bucket list whitetail hunt i've ever dreamed about ever since i was a little kid 
Uh, I actually booked it and I'm going to do it. It's Saskatchewan Whitetail next year with a bow in November. So like that's going to take up a bulk of my November. So I'm like, okay, you know, let's just hang out, do the family thing and, you know, hopefully build some brownie points here. (laughs) There you go, man. That's awesome, dude. That sounds like a killer hunt. Uh, yeah. What's yeah. uh? So what was what's driven you to want to for that to be kind of like your bucket list whitetail hunt? What's the because a lot of guys would say, you know, Iowa or something like that, right? That seems to be like the pretty standard answer for a lot of guys. The only odd one I've ever heard was actually Greg Litzinger. Chad, I think, asked him that, and he said, uh, I think he said like Saskatchewan, but like, uh, op- like early season. Which was like a total okay. oddball, oddball answer. But Greg likes to do stuff where he's just going to get like get kicked in the ding ding for two weeks straight. <laughs> so, so that's kind of the rationale behind that. But what, uh, what's the driving factor for Saskatchewan over any, uh, over anywhere else? You know, when I was growing up, um, Saturdays on ESPN were a big like hunting, like that was the hunting network back when I was mm-hmm. ten, eleven, twelve, stuff like that, and. Um, so Saturday mornings, my dad and I'd wake up, he'd drink coffee and, and we'd just watch whatever hunting shows around. A lot of them were, were real tree. And, you know, I grew up watching the Primo stuff as well and the Drury's, but like every time I saw snow and these big chocolate racked deer, I was like, it, for some reason, it was just like, it, it caught my attention. And, you know, it was just something where I was like, man, like they just look they look like our deer, but they look so different in the fact of like, we don't have chocolate rack deer. I think that was like the, the driving force to it. It was like, man, they're so dark antlered. And then, uh, one of my dad's friends, he, you know, it was about 10 years ago. He'd go for about five or six years in a row until they got a really bad winter kill, but he'd come back every year with like this, just a big chocolate rack deer. And I'm like, man, like every time I'd see his deer and I'm like, gosh, I just want to do that so bad. And then Luckily, I'm in a position to where I work for a company called Worldwide Trophy Adventures, and they have an outfitter up in Saskatchewan. That's one thing you have to use an outfitter when you yeah. go up to Saskatchewan. So, or even in, I think it's all in all of Canada, I think. But um, I was able to book, man, and actually I got to do that hunt this year. But filming my boss, I actually just got back from it. Uh, it was the fifth of November through the eleventh, and dude, it was so much fun just to like kind of go through the paces. It was the coldest and hardest, coldest hunt I've ever been on in my life. But um, just to kind of go through the paces and see what I'm going to get into. And I'll tell you what, man, it was, it was a lot. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to go back here. I thought it was going to be like shooting a fish in a barrel kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. uh, you know, you're in a blind here. You're sitting over an alfalfa pile. Alfalfa pile. Everybody kills one. But um, dude, it's it's a lot tougher than that. Like there's a lot more that goes into it than just sitting there in a blind over a bait pile. There really is. Nice. And to say that it's like the coldest and hardest hunt for a guy coming from Michigan, like that's, uh, that's saying something, (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean? The, uh, dude, it was tough. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's kind of cool that you got almost like a little trial run. Like, so what was, what was the activity? Like, I mean, were you seeing, I don't want you to give away, you know, the, the content of, you know, what you were, what you were working on and stuff like that. But I mean, were you seeing a lot of good bucks? I mean, was, was it, you know, the rut, like you would expect if you were going somewhere like a Kansas or an Iowa, or was it, was it different than that? You know, the best way I can describe it is that, uh, we were hunting ground that this outfitter has a concession basically that's consists of 500,000 acres. So you're looking at 
half a million acres that he can hunt. It's all, wow. it's called crown, crown land up there, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. our public land. Yep. So, I mean, we were in the mornings, we were, t- we were driving, you know, 20 minutes to where we would then unload the buggy and then we would drive another 20 to 30 minutes through the bush into, you know, into, you know, just big bush country. And yeah. You don't hear anything, man. You don't hear trucks. You don't hear cars. You don't hear, you might hear an occasional plane, but I'm telling you what right now, Clint, like it was the coolest hunt as far as like just seeing deer do deer things unpressured. Yeah. Um, I filmed a like a knockdown drag out fight. No way. And yeah, man. Dude, and and all awesome. the, it, it is in, in all the hunting I've ever done. This the only, it's the second buck fight I've ever seen ever like laid out i mean you see deer click antlers together and just kind of play this was a donnybrook i mean (laughs) it it was really neat to see that and snort wheezing and stuff like that but man there was 18 inches of snow we were getting up yeah and we were getting up and it was negative it it ranged from negative 16 fahrenheit to five degrees fahrenheit like it never got higher than five degrees And we sat all day, daylight to dark for five days. I put in just over 55 hours in in the stand. And, you know, the movement the first day was we saw three deer the whole day. It was like, you know, and everybody's thinking like bait pile and stuff like that. You just, you know, there's days that you just don't see deer. The second day saw deer literally all day, but it was, we probably saw a lot of the, uh, like doubles, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, and my boss ended up shooting the second night, um, a real good 150 inch 10 point um, chocolate rack. It was the shooter buck we were in there for. He showed up at last late the second night. And then uh, my boss's best friend was with us as well. So I jumped in with him to film him for And dude, you talk about grind mode. I mean, we were grinding out. We were seeing deer, seeing little bucks, but we just weren't seeing that mature deer. And finally at uh, the last day at like 2.30 in the afternoon, this doe was just acting so weird. She's around us for like 40 minutes and you have one shooting lane, obviously down to the bait and you know, everything's bush around you. So it's like, you don't get to see a lot around you. You're just looking straight all day. And this doe is just like, you can tell she there's just something's weird. And, uh, it took 45 minutes. And I think this buck was sitting in the bush, just watching her, just, just kind of like flanking her. Mm-hmm. And finally he just committed and came in and I'm like, wow. And I looked up, I was the first one to see and I'm like, Kevin, big deer, big deer. And, uh, he just comes out just no neck, just looking around like, you know, and he was on her and ended up getting a shot. And it was, it was, it was awesome, dude. dude. It was so cool. Dude. I mean, you, you mentioning just getting to watch deer do deer things. That is like one of my favorite things about, you know, going to, some of these other states where, you know, for a guy like me or you that's coming from a, a Pennsylvania or Michigan or whatever, where you go somewhere where, you know, I'm not saying other states don't have pressure, but just where, where it's less, you know, just comparatively speaking, and just see deer kind of act natural. You know what yep. I mean? Like that's, you know, not something that you get in some states. It's certainly not something you get around where I live, you know, especially after a couple weeks worth of archery season has kicked in. You know what I mean? At that point, for sure. You know, there's enough, you know, not, there's a, not a ton of public and there's a ton of people, you know? So if you do the math, (laughs) you know, deer, deer are seeing people by like a couple weeks into, um, into archery season, man, I've, so Canada is one of the places. So the company I work for actually is, is in Canada. Um, that's why I work remote because it's hard for me to commute to Toronto, but (laughs) 
uh, <laughs> I've actually had a couple people who listen to the show that live in Canada, and because you're right, like the like the only way I think you can go is like you either have to go with an outfitter, right? You have to go through through that channel, yeah, or someone has to sponsor you and bring you over. And I okay, want, and I want to say like, and it might not be in all the provinces; it might be in select provinces, um. Because I think that they, when they get a license, I think this is how it works. So don't anyone out there listening, it's from Canada. <laughs> send the hate mail to Clint. Yeah, send the hate <laughs> mail to me. Um, but I think when they get a license, they have the opportunity to sponsor one other hunter. You know what I mean? I think, okay. that's, I think that's how it works. Is it kind of like a party hunt like Iowa does? I, I'm not, you know, I'm not familiar with, with the, the party hunt thing, but like they can essentially. So if I were from, let's just say, Saskatchewan, or let's just say I'm for some somewhere around like the Bozone or something like that, and okay. I know you, and I live in Canada. It's like I can say, hey, if you want to come over, I'll I'll sponsor you, you know, and then hmm. that gets you like your paperwork to be able to come over to get your license, get your tag, or whatever. And I think I can do that like once a year or whatever the whatever the thing is, and then you can come over and hunt untethered, essentially. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to hunt, you know, with, with an outfitter or private land, you can just basically hunt wherever you can get access to, whether it's public or whatever. It's at least how I understand it. Well, uh, how about you move up north and just <laughs> hook a brother up then? <laughs> I know, right? I know. Uh, I would love to do that at some at some point, um, you know, just to, to go up and ex, uh, experience uh, that or go hunt mule deer. You know, some world-class yeah. mule deer would be... For sure. Would be uh, pretty insane. But man, we already kind of got a little taste of what you do for a living because you kind of started mentioning a little bit. But, you know, if you don't mind, we've already kind of jumped into the conversation, but we'll, we'll take a step back for a quick second. You know, since you're a first time offender on the show, if you wouldn't mind, just let people know, you know, particularly where you're from and what you actually do for, for a living. Yeah. So my name is Aaron Blasey. I grew up uh, here in Michigan. I'm in Central Michigan. Uh, a lot of people might know the University of Central Michigan, CMU. Yeah. Um, it's actually where Antonio Brown went to college. Mm -hmm. I am literally live like 10 minutes from there. And that's where I grew up. And uh, I don't know, man. It's just one of those things like PA, I think, you know, rich tradition in hunting and, you know, grew up turkey hunting and whitetail hunting. And I I'm glad I grew up here doing that because honestly, I feel like, and this is not going against anybody out in the Midwest or any of those big buck states, but man, like I couldn't imagine shooting like a 130 inch buck for my first one. It actually took me a lot of years to do that, <laughs> right. you know? Um, and I can I think, I think that's why I look back at now, like even when I shot or, you know, I shot my first year this year was like in the mid one teens mm -hmm. in a score wise. And like, I still value that deer a lot. Like, you know, I, that deer just had me turned inside out. I'm like, Oh man, like, you know, so I, I still feel like I get that good value. You know what I mean? Right. Right. That's a good point, man. Because I think, you know, we've had such like a, you know, a focus, I guess maybe. And look, I think even people like me is part to blame for it. You know, I'm not absolved of responsibility for it because we obsess over big deer. You know, they sure. just, they captivate our mind, you know, mature deer doing mature deer things and stuff like that. And I have to remind myself sometimes, and my good buddy, Aaron is actually great at this. Um, cause he is just an outdoorsman through and through. And that dude, you know, first off he kills deer consistently, um, on the public around here, but that guy will, will arrow whatever buck he sees that gets him super excited. 
You know what I mean? Like he'll let some deer walk, you know, but if he sees a buck that he's just super jazzed about and he has a shot, like that deer is getting an arrow. And, yeah. you know, it's, I have to remind myself sometimes, you know, that, uh, to, to, rem- to remember to hunt like that because I do get caught up in trying to find a buck to chase. And is this the mature enough to, you know, and sometimes it's like, man, you just need to go let some arrows rip, dude, you know? And, mm-hmm. I, and I'm kind of at that place right now. Like this season has been like another reminder of that for me where didn't have on, you know, uh, on camera or, um, I guess I had an encounter with one really good deer that would have, would have arrowed, but like, it's been one of those seasons where I just didn't have a lot of, I didn't have a lot of targets that, that got me excited, you know, that I wanted to like chase essentially. And then I just yeah. had to remind myself, I'm like, look, man, like hunt what you have, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> if that's what you have, then that's what you have, then go hunt it, you know? And so I have to just constantly kind of remind myself um, that. And I think that you're right. I think when you grow up in places like PA and Michigan and things like that, those deer are still really good deer for a lot of areas and are, are valuable, man. And so I'm, I'm just, I'm glad to hear someone say that, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Long, long story short. <laughs> well, you know, and, and I don't even know if I answered your question about who I am and what I do, but you know, and now you got me into podcast mode where I'm like, now I just want to, cause this is something that not a lot of people ask me. And some people look at me funny when, you know, I'll go and I've been fortunate enough to kill some pretty big deer. And then I'll, uh, you know, seven days later, I'll kill one that's significantly smaller and people are like head scratch. And it's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, man, you just don't understand. Like, like that deer means a lot to me. I don't, I mean, yeah, I want to kill the biggest deer in the farm, but I want to go back to what you said about the biggest deer you have on camera that you know about. Mm-hmm. Cause this year, you know, around my farms here in Michigan, like biggest deer I had on camera was like a hundred and, 15 inches maybe, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's the, that's like the top 10% of what I get every year. I mean, there, there's an anomaly every so often where it's like, oh, you get, you throw a Pope and Young or a 130. Um, but the thing is, is like, when we go out of state, no matter where we go, we're trying, when I say we are like you and I, and whoever in our, you know, kind of group, we're trying to kill what we think is the top 10% of that area. Yeah. So why does it make it any different when you come home? That's yeah. where I'm at with it. Yeah. You know, that's a great um, point, man. Yeah. And, and, and if, if you're, I have friends that are like, they won't hunt Michigan anymore because they want to kill like a 150. I'm like, okay, that is fine. I am not saying anything bad about that at all, but still I'm just to the point where it's like, dude, I'm, you know, I'm not going to kill a 140 if I, if I just don't consistently have 140s on the property, but and then their rebuttal is, well, you know, if you kill it, then it's 100% dead. And I'm like, I understand. But you got to understand where I'm hunting as well. Mm-hmm. Me on like four acres of timber, I can't just hold and like, hope that there's going to be a 140 that's going to live there every year. Like you got to have square miles of, uh, of uh, you know, what do they call them? Um, oh, crap. Like when the, all the neighbors get together, a co-op. A co-op like the yeah, co-ops yeah. are big in Michigan and it's like, you know, you got to have neighbors on the same freaking page to do that, dude. And yeah. I'm just not going to just go by the wayside and not hunt. So I still re- really enjoy it. So my whole thing is you're wherever you're going to hunt, you're trying to kill that top 10%. Why is it any different at home? That's my whole thing. Yeah, that's a great point, man. And I, to be honest, man, you know, if I think about it, because you're making me think about it right now, actually, is I got kind of spoiled probably the past two years because I had that 
I had that anomaly, but I had it for two years in a row, essentially, or actually maybe even three years in a row where I had a handful of deer. And when I say a handful, like anywhere from like two to maybe three or four, you know, that were all in that like 130 and over like class, Mm -hmm. you know, and so on the public land that, that was around me. And so that's what my seasons were spent chasing was trying to chase, you know, some of those down. And, and so this year, whenever that didn't come to fruition, you know, I was kind of like, oh man, you know, it's rough season. You know, I did have an encounter, I think it was like October 18th with a, a really good buck. Um, he would have probably been right around Pope, I think. Um, it okay. was a really weird, uh, he, I couldn't hundred percent tell. I think I have a picture of him. He was either a, a funky seven or like a funky eight because like his left side was all kind of like palmated and like real thick bases and just kind of like a weird left side, or there was a point there that I couldn't see. And I had embedded on like the, on the 18th for a couple hours and he just got up and, and walked away. But like his body, like when you, when I see the picture and whenever he was walking away, like he's a big tank of a deer, like he's a mature buck, you know, mm-hmm. just wasn't ever going to score probably huge just because it's just not in his nature. And I'm pretty sure I had him on camera last year too. Um, Cause I kind of remember the, the, the funky rack. Um, but you know, so that was a deer that I was kind of interested in. You know, the one thing that I did, you know, thinking of your, of of your buddies, it's like, you know, you don't have to necessarily always leave the, cause it'd be really easy for me to go like, Hey, there's the, you know, there's not consistently big deer or mature deer in the area that I, that I live. And if that's what I desire to chase then then maybe I shouldn't hunt Pennsylvania. But what I did was I actually kind of looked at it a little bit differently. It was like, where relatively close to me within a reasonable amount of distance that I'd be, I'd be willing to drive. Is there large enough pieces of ground, public ground that's unbroken that would give a deer the opportunity to get away from pressure, hide and get age on them that has the potential to grow a, you know, right. a, a mature deer. And so I kind of looked around and like said, I'm willing to drive X amount of distance, you know, to go scout and hunt and all those things. And then you know, knew that I was going to have to make a commitment that was probably going to take me three years before I'd ever really see any like real results, like hunting results, you know, just because I'm going to have to scout, I'm going to have to hunt. There's going to be probably two years of just like, just failure before it even starts to start make sense. And, uh, and so I did that and literally the, you know, I've, I've run cameras the past two years and I've gotten a handful of hunts in on places and I've seen bucks, you know, from a, from the tree, seen deer and I've had, you know, deer on camera that are in that four five and six year old age range, you know? And so for me, it was like, if that's really what I want, then I got, I either have to like, say to your point, be cool with just like going, Hey, what's the top 10% like typically on average, you know, and, yeah. and get good with that or be willing to put additional work in and go find it somewhere else, you know? And so, so that's what I did, you know? Yeah. But so, man, I want to, so we kind of already talked about your hunting background a little bit from Michigan, you know, um, turkey hunting, you know, deer hunting, you know, all the things you would do in a, in a hunting heritage state. How did you, I guess, talk to me a little bit about your hunting style. Like, would you consider yourself to be aggressive, more patient, you know, and, and was it always like that or has it evolved over time? Man, it's, it's evolved over time like crazy. Um, you know. I got to go back and think about what year. Now I want to say it was like 2018 or 19. I really like 
flip my hunting style on its head. Like I was always the best way I can put it is I was like that guy that would, and there's nothing against this. So all hate mail, if you want to send it to me, you can send it to me, but yeah, this, this hate mail, you can send to him the, the, the misunderstanding yeah. of, uh, of sponsoring someone Ex- in Canada, you can send them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I was the guy that like, another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know, and you got to understand too where I was as uh, in my life. Like I didn't have kids. I was only married. I didn't have a lot of tie downs. You know, so I had a lot of time to put into food plots and do some land management. And I did that. That that was, you know, I always thought, you know, Lee and Tiff have great food plots to kill big deer on. Like, I was like, that's what I need, you know? So I'd put a lot of time, sweat and money into food plots and, and stuff like that to only figure out that I don't kill deer on them and I didn't hunt them right. And it was me, you know, it was the, it was the Indian, not the arrow kind of deal, right. you know? And so I was, you know, started the podcast and then I really started diving into these cats, like the Troy Pottingers, the, you know, Greg Litzingers and, and, and what the guys that I call like the elitist of like the mobile hunt game, you know, the, the move and the move and groove kind of guys. And so when I dove into that, it was like a whole new world for me, you know? And I was like hodgepodge and stands to put together. I think I had a millennium, you know, with like Hawk sticks and just like trying to like get your system, you know, you always try to dial your system in and you know, back like 11 years ago, I used to be a saddle hunter and from, I bought a saddle from John Eberhardt and, you know, I tried to do that. I didn't like it at the time, you know? And so I got to the point where I was like, man, I started killing more deer when I spent less time in the woods, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> as, as weird as that sounds, you know? Yep. Um, And I really started ramping up more of my like off season scouting, like the spring scouting. Like to me, it was it was, I just never thought I needed to do it, you know, and I started ramping that up a little bit. I just dipped my toe in it and then it got more and more as the, as the years went on and I started being more successful and, and I'm like, man, there's something to this. So then like in Michigan, my two main farms, one is completely ag. It is, you know, all fields with wooded fence rows, little wood lots and um, and then my main, like I call the main farm or family farm, it's 219 acres, basically all timber, but, uh, about 60 acres of it's a hay field, but it's in the section in a mile section. That's got a pile of timber. Okay. Mm-hmm. And two totally different beasts in between the two farms. And, mm-hmm. um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's funny. My, 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 Styles change no matter what farm I go to. In ag, I am very passive. I have I'm very strike while the time like strike when I need to. You know, I might only sit twice, but those two strikes, I'm gonna kill a deer in one of those two strikes, or I'm gonna have an opportunity at it. Right. I sit back from afar like crazy in ag country. I I glass every morning, I glass every night, I take sits off, I like I got friends that are like, you should be hunting. And I'm like, well, it's not time yet. It's not right. You know? Mm -hmm. And 
but like the big timber stuff i'm i'm getting to be more more aggressive and honestly i'm getting to the point where i'll dive in and i'll for lack of better words i'll f things up mm-hmm. you know because i want to get tight yeah. like i'm going to try to get tight and and honestly i still do it with a sense of urgency but i i try to I try to do a lot of uh, different things that I might not have done in in the big woods stuff because I feel like if I bump a deer, if I if I blow it up, I got more room to move. You know what I mean? I feel like in the ag stuff, if you if you kick the wrong leaf, that could be the end of your season. That's yeah. the way I approach it. Yeah, and it's one of those things too. It's like whenever you you know when you have the you know at least in my experience when you hunt in and around ag land you know, it, it typically has a lot more kind of structure to yes. it, to it, to a degree, you know, and, and there's, you know, or it can run one of two ways. It can either have a lot of structure, right. And hunt bigger than it is. Right. Because there's a, there's a bunch of different setups, right. Or it can have structure, but just not immense kind of like layers of structure. And there's mm-hmm. a handful of setups where there's really only here and here, like as an example, right? Like hundred percent. Kansas is kind of like that in that's, you know, um, where, you know, you'll have a, you know, a big CRP field and, you know, the only bit of structure might be a draw that is 300 yards long or something like that. Right. And there's really only one spot that you can really set up in the draw that makes sense to where the deer are going to want to be like in all that whole chunk <laughs> of ground there's one setup, you know what yep. I mean? Or there might be two setups or whatever, but you're dealing with like, you know, a piece that maybe is like 150 acres or whatever, you know what I mean? But there's literally like exactly. two, two reasonable setups other than like glassing something, spotting it and stocking it. But if you're just going for the classic, like a setup, there's probably two spots you can set up, you know, yep. so that, so that totally makes sense, man, where it's like, you know, where you know in the in the ag kind of stuff you're kind of laying back and in the, in the timber stuff you're kind of there's a lot more kind of ways to hide or ways to hunt that i guess is one way to kind of one way to kind of say it yeah and i i also i feel like a little bit of it is too like you kind of got to listen to the timber and listen to the area because you know the big wood stuff you, you kind of have to get into to figure it out the ag stuff you can sit from three four hundred yards away and just kind of let it let it happen you know what I mean? Yeah. And honestly, I grew up a big woods kind of hunter, like with a lot of timber. I've only been hunting ag since 2016. And to the ag to me, I'll take it 10 out of 10 times over big timber. Like mm-hmm. I, it, it is easier. I won't lie to you, but man, I really like to see deer doing deer things mm-hmm. and making a move. Like one of my favorite things to do in ag is, you know, I take my daughter to school a lot because my wife's a nurse and and uh, I work from home, so I'll take her to school. And if it's like, you know, a little after eight o'clock and if it's that seeking phase, man, I'll drive around the section until I find one slipping in to a timber that I can hunt. And then I'm going to go, you know, I did a couple sits this year in, in early October where I got into the stand at nine in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually it plays into my first buck that I killed this year where historical data really played into some scenarios here, but I'll get in, dude, and I'll hunt nine to two. And, you know, and if that's what I'm given to hunt, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. And it, it, dude, it hasn't worked as far as me killing yet, but encounters. Wow. Like I've seen some things in some pressured areas that 
in the time frame shouldn't be happening. That's what like somebody told us that the deer don't move on October 10th, mm-hmm. you know, mid morning. But if you have this historical data, oh, like, man. dude, I'm, it's it could be deadly. Yeah, it's one of my favorite time, like my favorite time to hunt. I always say it. It's like it's that time of October that nobody else wants to hunt. It's my favorite time. Like that's like yeah. hands down. Like I would give up. I would give up the rut to have to extend that kind of second and third week of October be longer. <laughs> I probably would. I would almost agree with you. You on know, that. Yeah. you know, the only reason I wouldn't want to give up the ruts because I'm usually gone somewhere like fun hunting, and that's always a fun time to go, kind of like to Kansas or. or or whatever but i mean i i totally am picking up what you're saying and, and where i've kind of experienced that again because like where i hunt typically around here it's just it's it's thick it's nasty you can't see you know any you know any distance really at all but like i can see that working in when i think about hunting places like kansas where you watch a lot and mm-hmm. you just kind of you know that's i think that's one of the things even back east here people who do hunt ag ground that can see, you know, those observation sits, I think sometimes people use them too passively to where like, I almost feel like in those types of scenarios, like you need to hunt passive aggressively. It's not, yep. I don't know if that even makes sense, but like you can set up, do an observation and watch deer from afar. So you're not blowing something up, especially if you don't have a good wind to get into a certain spot or whatever, but you just want to be able to see and you kind of observe them doing something. Man, if you see them do something like, the like get down move and, and get over where the business is you know what mm-hmm. i mean and that i think is one thing that you know in the east whenever people were hunting you know large ag land where they played a little bit too you know too passive is that they see that thing happen and then they say oh, okay that you know that buck is here or whatever and then they sit a stand that isn't in the game there like yep. they've already told you what they're doing you know believe them and and then yep. take and then take advantage of it. That's the one thing that I've kind of learned just from hunting Kansas is like when you see a deer do something, <clears throat> believe him. <laughs> you know he's exactly he, he's telling you what he what he wants to do. Believe him, and then and then make your move. And and I did that on this past trip, and I mean, and it put me in the game. You know, on two different occasions. You know, came up empty on, on both, but I was within you know bow range of the two target animals. You know, and it's mm-hmm. like, it's because I observed, watched, it was like, this is what the deer are doing. This is where they want to be. I'm going to go there, you know, and, instead of, I could have played it a lot more passively and try to stay out of their bedroom or out of their kind of area and not been so disruptive, but you know, I wouldn't have been near close enough to try to even, you know, attempt having a, attempt having a shot. Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to elaborate a little bit on that too. You know, this, this quote unquote invisible handbook that was invented way back in the day that said you needed to do this. Like, I'm right. not gonna lie to you. The more that I got away from that handbook, that quote unquote handbook, the, the more, the more encounters I had, the more successful I was. I'm not saying just discredit everything that everybody tells you, but what I'm saying is there's a lot more ways to skin a cat than hunting, you know, a certain way. So yeah. this in, you know, there's, I'm not picking on John Eberhard at all. Like John Eberhard is a very good hunter. Like, you know, yeah. he, everybody knows, knows John. He's, he's very kind of in your face, you know, and he's got his way of doing things, which is great. But he, something I do kind of disagree with him on is, is killing mature bucks on a field edge without security cover. Mm-hmm. I've 
personally done it three times in Michigan and I did it again this year twice. And, um, I just don't believe in that. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, one or actually both of them were bean fields. Um, and it, and it's just being able to pivot, I think is good and adapt to situations. Um, and I don't want anybody to think that I'm, and John, if you're listening to this, I'm not coming after you. That's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm just saying like there, you know, find a way that works, but then adapt to your style. Like I like to hear what John has to say in a lot of different aspects, but that's something that when I look at it, I'm like, man, I just, I've actually done that a couple of times. So I can't really get on board with that. You right. know what I mean? Um, so the more you can, and I say you as whoever's listening to this, the more ways to skin a cat is the best way to do it. Like, you know, I try to go in every year with a plan. Ryan Glitzky is the guy that I talk to about this. We've mm -hmm. talked um, extensively on this. He's like, man, I got a plan. And he's like, and I said, well, what, what happens when that plan doesn't come together come November? And he's like, well, I got to pivot, you know? So mm -hmm. I try to have a plan every year, but like last year's plan coming into Michigan, you know, I tried implementing that plan that I did last year to this year. And I'm like, I've got to pivot. Like things are different, you know, shit's changing. And I did. And you know, it, it ended up working. So I don't know, man, it, it just, I, it's, I, it sounds so cliche, I feel like, but you know, the more adaptable you can be to an area or a situation, the better off you're going to be. Don't think it's it's black and white, cut and dry. This is what I have to do because this guy said this. Take what that guy said and just kind of morph it into what works for you is the best way I can say it. Yeah, I've always kind of looked at it as, you know, a lot of the you know advice that you get on podcasts or or YouTube channels or whatever the case is. You know, it's really just all frameworks for how people who've found success previously. I view sure. it that way. Now, some people present them as steadfast ways of like, this is how you get it done, <laughs> how it works. You know, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. But what I, you know, the way I've always kind of looked at it is, you know, this is a framework that this person has found success and they're going to believe in it, trust it because it has been successful and that's good for them. And I'll try some of the stuff that they're suggesting or that they're talking about. And if it works, great for me. You know, uh, I'll maybe add it to my bag of tricks. If it doesn't, then I'll move move on from it and see. You know what happens to work for me. You know, it's mm -hmm. I used to be. You know, just me personally, I used to be like a guy who would hunt the rut and just you know I would sit in a tree all day. Like that was kind of like how I used to used to hunt, and now. You know, uh, I don't know if it's because I'm impatient or what it is, but I even during the rut, like I move a lot, you know, I just will get down if I if I just don't have a good feeling about where I'm at and there's no scientific reason. It can just be like, yeah, I, I'm not feeling it. This ain't the spot. Mm -hmm. I'll just get down and I'll move. You know what I mean? Yep. And, I'll, and I'll go wherever it is that I think is the spot, you know, and, and sometimes it's maybe the wind shifted a little bit or sometimes maybe it's like I saw something, you know, I observed something you know, 40 yards away or 50 yards away or whatever the case is. Or maybe I saw a sign, you know, two days ago, you know, that I'm thinking about while I'm in this tree and I'm like, I really think I need to be at that spot. You know, whatever the case is, you know, I've just been, you know, way less inclined to kind of hang on to an idea. Um, and more often than not, you know, it's put me in position to have, you know, better, better encounters to your point. Staying adaptable has put me in a position to where it's like, you know, the past probably four years, I've had the best encounters, you know, uh, that I've probably ever had and consistently, 
you know is there is there a trend there for you like where when you look back at like okay the consistent encounters you're having and opportunities you're having is there any trends in like man this is this is why i'm doing that like maybe it's a train feature maybe it's like right on doe bedding or you know cover whatever is there any trends in that where you could pick out and be like man i really need to hone on that hone in on that more yeah and, and actually there was a big learning this year for it too um so so answer the first part of your question yes um it's typically always some type of big community scrape uh, adjacent to to doe bedding with hard access that's usually like the my mo and that's why I'll hunt fewer days, but to your earlier point, they're more strategic, strategic strikes and mm-hmm. I'm hunting those areas less off of, um, less off of patterning specific deer and more off of patterning specific movement periods around those particular areas. Sure. Like, you yep. know, and, and, and you mentioned Glitzky, you know, it's, and, and he, what he would say is that, I have multiple things kind of coming together at those places. You know, that's kind of what mm-hmm. I'm looking for. And those, those are the, those are the things that I'm kind of, you know, seeking out the learning this year was that all those places, you know, when I do all my postseason scouting or even in season scouting, it's like, I mark all the feed trees, like all the white Oaks, you know, it's like, there's a bunch of, you know, red Oaks that are around there and stuff too, but I primarily, you know, and I'll know that they're in the area because they're just where there's white Oaks. I typically have also red Oaks but the white oaks are just, you know, a little bit more scarce. And so I mark all of those. And this year, acorns in my spots did not drop like at all. I didn't have a single feed tree that I had marked have acorns or if they did, they weren't any acorns of substance. They were like super, really weird, like super, super small, like almost immature uh, acorns. It was really weird. And so my activity in those areas were just down in general. Now I did have that one good encounter, you know, this year, mid-October. And, but even that spot, like the adjacent feed trees and stuff like that were just non, non-existent. And so what I learned this year, which was like a huge learning for me, which means I need to kind of like pound the pavement again this off season and come up with some alternate alternative plans or this, this, you know, postseason or late season, um, is that those places while they were, while they still held deer activity, it wasn't the same type of activity I wanted. And I think it was because of there it's slightly dependent on the adjacent feed trees being being uh being productive and so okay. and so that was kind of like a big a big learning for me because i don't have crops necessarily around me so it's not crop rotation based it's really cycle of uh of white oak uh, production based and so that was kind of a learning for me because every spot i went to this year that i historically for several years have had just hammer production um of just deer activity, good bucks, just was non-existent. When I say non-existent, I mean, there were some places that just like, like there just weren't a lot of deer even like being observed or even on camera. And so whenever I kind of figured that out, it was kind of like, okay, that's, (laughs) I need to, I need to make an alternative plan now because this, these spots here are dependent on this thing here. And when it's not right, this spot's not right. So, yeah. So in those areas that it goes completely dormant, do you think that's food related like you were talking like, you know, mass trees or do you think it could be pressure related as well? You know, I haven't I don't have a great answer for that right now. I was actually talking to Litzinger a little bit about it today as I was <laughs> I went to the barber, got a haircut today and I was talking to Litzinger on my drive home. And uh and because we both kind of, you know, we compare notes a lot just like, you know, all of our hunting buddies do. It's like, you know, especially if you live relatively close to each other and we don't live 
next door, but, you know, same general regional area. And, you know, like I was saying earlier, it's like, I just haven't had like a lot of, you know, um, you know, I just haven't had decent bucks on camera. And I would go one step further and just say, I haven't even, I haven't had a lot of bucks on camera. Like regardless of caliber, I haven't had a lot of bucks just in general. And he's kind of had the same thing, like to where it's, you know, he's like, I just haven't had like, you know, any real mature deer in places that I classically get mature deer every year, you know, at least one or two. He's like, I've got nothing. He was like, and then still, I just haven't had a lot of bucks on camera just in general. And it's just kind of, it's just kind of odd. And so I don't know if like, you know, uh, they got killed last year potentially, or, you know, or that they were just got, got hammered during gun season or whatever. That's like one, one theory. One thing that, um, I think it was Johnny Stewart mentioned to him when they were talking is that we had a really, you know, hard cold snap last year in a part of the season that typically wouldn't, that they typically wouldn't be expecting. And Johnny was like, you know, those young deer, if they've never seen a real hard cold snap, you know, during a vulnerable time of year. So like, say like gun season, for example, you know, he's like deer will make mistakes when the weather changes like that. And they have to go to food because the weather changes. You know, he was like, so if that cold snap happens to a young deer who doesn't understand that, even though it's it's gotten cold really quick, you still can't be walking around in daylight. And I'm kind of just uh, summarizing this, like the bullet points quickly. You know, they might be vul- they might be more vulnerable, you know, and then getting themselves killed as opposed to, you know, making it another season because that cold snap that happened abnormally happened during a time of year where they're extra vulnerable because of the hunting season being. Sure. And so that was something that he's kind of mentioned. And I was like, Hmm, I was like, that kind of makes some sense. I was like, I could, I could buy that, you know? And so, you know, I don't know, man, um, I'm going to have to just kind of do some postseason scouting, run some additional cameras next year. I'm going to try to look around for dead deer. Um, here in the, in the postseason, I don't know if it was, you know, if we had a little bout of EHD or what, I know Ohio got hit really hard. Um, and not sure if we had something similar around here, just maybe not the same magnitude, but yeah. Well, it's interesting too. I'd, I'd be interested to see like how you pivot a little bit and you know, if you're getting, like you said, just even getting those bucks on camera, that's a win. Mm-hmm. I mean, getting, getting quantity of bucks as well. Yeah. And you know, that that's a win from year to year, I think. Yeah. 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 And I, I was, I mean, I was going into this season, dude, riding high. I was like, there was like, I had some spots really dialed in on annual data and I was like, man, these should be, these should be fire, you know? And then it was just like, wah, wah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it was like, way to go. <laughs> Fat chance sucker. It was kind of like, that. <laughs> was the response that I got from the deer. Woods. Yep. Um, but man, so, you know, just in talking, it, it sounds like, I, I'll just ask the question. Like, do you consider yourself more of an October guy or a November guy? I think you're leaning October, but I don't want to put words in your mouth, man. You know, um, gosh, I thought I was like a November guy. And honestly, what is kind of like skewed that is, you know, the last 10 years I've filmed every fall. So I didn't, I didn't hunt a lot of Novembers. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I did hunt, that's when I had the majority of my success. Mm-hmm. And as of like recent, the last three years or so, like, dude, October is my jam. Like, even if I go back to like 2009, I killed my like first real, what I claimed at the time, like a real good Michigan buck um, at the time, like I said, 2009. Mm-hmm. And 
I killed him on October 18th and I had, I was like, this is unbelievable. You know, he's 105 inches, killed him with my bow. And I'm like, wow. Like at that time, I'm like, and this is what I go to. Like, I'm glad I grew up in Michigan because when I killed that deer, that was like, I look at how much work I had to put in and how much and how long it took me to, to kill that deer. And I was like, man, this is not easy. Like mm-hmm. this is to kill a deer like this. And you, you look back and it's like, you're just trying to hope to get an opportunity to just even see a deer like that. So I killed that. And then, um, I always wanted to kill one on the opener October 1st. And I killed like 120 inch buck, uh, in 2016. And then from 16, dude, like I've, October 13th, twice, October 26th, October 18th, again, October 21st. So like, I'm, I'm starting to get that October thing. Like I'm starting to get the hang of it. (laughs) So sounds like, um, man, that's, that's what's up right there. I like that one date you mentioned the 18th. That's my favorite date. Really? Okay. That's the, uh, so last year, uh, encounter in this particular area, uh, a, a shooter that I had on, on camera had been watching. And uh, he put the sneak on me, and I kind of saw him late and didn't get a didn't get an arrow off. Had him at eighteen yards. That was kind of a, a ball buster. And then this year, October eighteenth, same day, same spot, and that's where I had that uh, deer bedded for two hours that I watched. At like wow, he, he was bedded at forty yards. And a uh, little tweak to the setup, I think, going forward because deer from last year snuck up on me from the same area that that deer bedded in this year. And so I think I need to make a, a little adjustment about 25 yards and I should be good. Um, but that kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. Like when you make an observation, like they're telling you what they're doing, believe them. So now I just yep. need to, I need to tweak the setup and that's a spot I'll, I'll be at every, every time I get the right wind between the 15th and the 18th, I'll be in that spot. Sure. Regard, regard, yeah. Regardless. But uh, man, so you, so you killed two Michigan bucks this year. I want to start off with the first one. I think you, what I think you killed that one on the thirteenth, right? Thirteenth, not, not yep. mistaken. So up until up until that point, how was your season going until that particular hunt? I mean, was it like were you seeing a lot of deer? Was the season going good, or did you have like the classic like early part of the year where you forgot your release and then you dropped something out of the tree? <laughs> <and> like, <laughs> you know, uh, it was a different year because I went back to fully like saddle hunting again this year. So I was. You know, I was that guy out in the middle of the yard, like practicing mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yep. you know, in the off season and just trying to get your system dialed. And I've, dude, I've got a system right now that like I could do with my eyes closed. It's so dialed. It's so, I went minimalist this year, light, lean, mean, and I love it. Nice. Um, so yeah, my season coming like in the first three days of October, I put a ton of merit into ag, uh, in Michigan. Like it, if I can't get it done in the first three days in, you know, the, the next 10 days or so, uh, I'd say eight to 10 days and it, it kind of is dormant. It's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, deer shifting a little bit and, you know, crops like hell right now, our, my corn or not my corn, not my corn, the corn mm-hmm. around me, there's still, there's still 1200 acres of standing corn around me in November. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, that was kind of a, a factor of, fighting with and I'm, I'm hoping it's getting some deer through gun season right now but you know my daughter's really taking a liking to wanting to do what dad does and she's five so i set up uh i've got a amish built uh box blind with bow windows and everything and i got it on a hay wagon so i set that up and we went hunting i think it was on the 5th of october i think and uh we did that and 
you know, the first two days of October, I saw my number one buck um, one of the days, I believe. And then I saw another shooter the, the second day. But like I said, man, I mean, I can only get so aggressive because it's field edge hunting. You know, like right. it's a ton of it's field edge. I can see them, you know, but it's, it's flatter than a pancake. I can watch my dog run for a day and stand on a beer can and watch him run for another, you know? So <laughs> it's, <laughs> I don't know that I've ever heard that saying before, man. That was, that was pretty good. Yeah. That was so good. It's, it's, it's flat, you know? And, um, you know, I'm laying eyes on him. I think the one night I got him to you know, like 150 yards and just wouldn't commit. So it's just like one of those playing cat and mouse things. And, um, but I'll tell you like the historical data coming into like that 10th, 11th, 12th into like the 17th of October, man, I've got a community scrape that gets hit every year at like 10 o'clock around that 10 mid morning time frame. Mm-hmm. And, um, the thing is, is like before time change, that's like a five hour sit four or five hours sit in the morning. Like mm-hmm. nobody's doing that in October. So, uh, that's just something I kind of took note of, but coming into it, man, I, you know, I was seeing the bucks, they're still on camera and everything, but just nothing Nothing getting close enough because I just really couldn't make a move, you know? Right. Oh, and I will say, I'd have to go back and look at the day. Um, one morning, uh, pulling out of my yard and out of my driveway, and I can hunt all the property around my my dry, or my house and uh, take my daughter to school. This was on... Man, I have to go back and look at the day. But uh, I <clears throat> pull out and as I'm coming down the road, I'm like, wow, there's my number two shooter buck just standing there. Like in the morning, it's like, you know, eight o'clock in the morning, just <laughs> like watching us come out of the driveway. And I'm like, crap. So then I take her to school. He's in this little, like, you know, five acre woodlot. And that historical data I talked about, I think this was around the 10th or 11th, uh, that historical data. I knew that the last four or five years, this community scrape gets hit. And this inside corner of this bean field, um, you know, that mid-morning time frame. So I took her to school. I came back home. I laced up and I got in the tree and I sat for four hours. I sat from like nine until one or something like that or noon. And he never showed up, but I'm like, I got to do it. You know what I mean? Yep. And I had a conference call that I had to get out, get out of the stand for. And But I'm like, if I got time to hunt, I got to do it. And uh, he just never ended up showing up. Mm-hmm. And that kind of let me into, you know, like, the day that I did kill. And, but yeah, that was kind of how my, my first couple of weeks of October went. it was just kind of feeling everything out. I could still see everything. Um, and I had everything on camera. Just, I, I just couldn't make a good enough strike. I thought that was going to be the strike, but, uh, right. you know, it just ended up happening. That, uh, when you mentioned, you know, if it doesn't happen in the first two, you know, day one through three, kind of at the beginning, you know, the next kind of seven to 10 or kind of, you know, blah, that's a very John Eberhardt thing there, right? Because yeah. John yep. talks about that a lot. Like, you know, yep. you know, the first like one to three days he'll hunt. And then outside of that, he really kind of, well, he'll wait later than what you, what you do typically I'm, from what I'm gathering. He really doesn't pick things up until he starts to hit like that pre-rut time frame is when he'll yeah. actually get back, back in the woods. But when you mentioned that uh, no one's doing that long sit in the morning, you're you're talking to the one guy who does. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. It's it it's it's October mornings are actually like in and around that those dates that I like. That's actually my favorite time to hunt is like the the morning sits. I actually see way more, at least around me, and it probably has something to do with just the fact that like 
a lot of other people are willing to go out after work or whatever, you know, on the, around the public that I hunt and stuff like that, that, you know, it gets more pressure around that time frame, And so I actually hunt more specifically, uh, mornings in October. And then whenever it gets around those dates that I really like, I usually don't f- hunt so much the weekends as I do. I try to take days off in the middle of the week and hunt like any, any day that's like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Okay. Is usually whenever I try to try to do it because there was actually a study done that showed like how deer movement picks up, how it changes through the week during the hunting season. And really, yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday are the best movement days, typically speaking, because, you know, people are out hunting Friday after work all day, Saturday, not Sunday in PA because you can't hunt. But if you're a state that can hunt Sunday, then of course, Sunday deer aren't moving on Monday because they're still kind of a little bit buffered from all the uh, pressure from the weekend. And then Tuesday, it picks up. Wednesday, it's a little more. Thursday's a little bit more. Friday, it's okay during the day, but people take Fridays off to hunt. And then certainly by Friday evening, the movement starts to decrease again because people have come in or started hunting after work. Mm-hmm. And, then it, and then it dies down from like Friday through the weekend again uh, until like Tuesday. And so yeah. just been paying attention to that, I, I started prioritizing like the times I want to hunt. Like mornings because it's the coolest part of the day typically in October and you can get some warm yep. days. And people are typically aren't in the woods uh, those days and then in the middle of the week because people are at work. Yeah. So for sure. I, and I want to, before you go into the next, I want to go back to what you said about John and how he hunts those first three days and he kind of waits too. But John, uh, you know, he has to travel to a lot of his ground. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. And he, it, and one thing that I will say that helps me around here is I've got a permission piece also that's in ag country where being able to work from home the last two years has made the number one source of why I've killed, you know, the three bucks that I've killed the last two years because my availability, like, you know, I can wake up and I can drive my section, you know, in about 15 minutes and see just about every deer in that section. And if I go to the permission piece, it's like same kind of thing. So being able to be available and have the time to go pursue that. If I had a job where I, you know, I had to go into work and stuff like that. And I was only like a weekend kind of warrior deal. I, I probably wouldn't be as accessible, but yeah. you know, I, I, I value that time. And I just know when I have the time to go and scout or glass for six or seven minutes, I go do that because that's those, those, those are what I call my high value strikes. It's like, that's mm-hmm. when my time is really valuable and I can kill a deer doing that. Right. So this particular deer, this first buck, did you have any history with him at all? Not, not at all. Not at all. Nope. So is yep. the first time you saw him whenever you saw him from the tree? So <laughs> funny thing. Um, no. So he, okay. So I had a five acre patch of timber and he, this number two deer that I call the babysitter. Um, the reason why I call the babysitter, cause that day that I took my daughter to school, that night I was going to try, I was hoping to get a babysitter to go in there. Cause I figured he was still in that timber and I mm-hmm. wanted to go hunt. And, um, so I was, we went in glass that night anyway, my daughter and I, and cause I couldn't get a babysitter in the deer walks out underneath the stand, hits the scrape. I filmed them do it and everything through a spotter on my phone. Man. And I'm like, no. And Peyton's like, what dad? And I'm like, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. You know what I mean? It's just like, man, I, w- that's the stand, you know, that's the location I was going to go to. And, uh, so that was like the 10th or 11th or something like that. So the, this, this first buck I killed, he, 
I was able to glass that area. And I actually, I have a camera in that timber as well. He showed up on camera uh, and I was, I thought it was the number two deer at first. Mm -hmm. I'm like my, the babysitter deer. And I'm like, man, so he's, you know, still in there. And uh, I was going to try to hunt that afternoon. And so I glassed that morning. I saw him that morning from the glass and I'm like, okay, he's, he's around here. Like all I got to do. And like I said, you know, historical data with this, this scrape is that, that, you know, second week of October, these bucks hit this scrape like crazy. And I'm like, if I can get to that stand or that location, I'm good. Like I will, if I can get there without blowing him, cause it's only five acres and it's mm-hmm. like, and I had a pretty good idea where he'd be betting if he was still in there. And uh, so I get my stuff on and going out the door and I actually, <clears throat> it's like three o'clock. So, you know, it gets dark at before time change, like seven yeah. after seven or so. And I'm heading out there and I look and I'm like, he walks out of the timber and mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I had, and I ran and got my spotter and I filmed him for like, five minutes and I could see he had like a double main beam and I'm like, who is this? <laughs> like, I have no idea who this deer has never seen this deer before in my, in my life. And you know, the second week of October, I always get a, a random buck come through. It seems like every year uh, I get just like a, oh, you know, they'd make the shift and it's like, they're just out kind of meandered. So I film a little bit and then he goes back in the timber and I'm like, okay, how am I going to get into this location now? And, and, get on the scrape to where I can hunt him that night. So I'm like, I'm just him hawing, him hawing. Like, what do I do? What do I do? So I actually drove down the road and I went in from a different direction and there was like a high mound of grass on the field edge and where I could glass into the timber and just kind of see if he was on the edge or not. And if I figured if he was, I could see about 10, 15 yards into the timber. Mm-hmm. I figured if I couldn't see him in there, I was going to, I was going to make my move. So um, I just, dude, hands and knees crawled it for a, a long way. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I felt like Jake Bush, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, right. I'm like, I'm doing this and I'm muddier and I'll get out and cause it had just rained and, and I know there was, there was rain coming in later that day. And, uh, I just took my time, man. And I, I got to the tree. I didn't hear any deer bust the wind. It was a decent wind day, but I had a great wind for me. and um you know, got everything set up, got in the tree and I'm like, I'm here, you know, and I, I think I'm good. Sat there for like two hours and didn't see a deer. Finally, I had like a little button buck come out in front of me and the neighbors, he was kind of working over to me and he worked right over to me and, uh, me, you know, messed with the scrape a little bit. The scrapes at 12 yards and, and he gets underneath me and he's just eating just foliage, just, you know, and mm-hmm. I, it's so thick in this timber where I can't, and the foliage is up, so I can't see a, a distance at all. And um, it starts, well, the buck, this little button buck, he's like looking around, you know, and I'm like, I'm just going to watch him and he's going to tell me what's going on. And uh, it starts raining. So I put my camera gear and everything away and it's like downpouring high winds, like mm-hmm. raining. And uh, all of a sudden, like this buck, he kind this button buck, he kind of works off and the sun comes out a little bit and it's kind of, it's weird. It's that sun, but with it kind of raining still. Yeah. And I look back behind me in the timber at like 32 yards or something like that. And I see a leg and I kind of like crouch down a little bit and I can see his right beam and his double main beam. And he's at like 32 yards. And I'm like, Oh my God, like he's right there. 
he's right on the other side of my lane. I have a, a cut lane there because I've been hunting this farm for, you know, since 2016 and it's a lot of the same locations. So I can't shoot any farther. So he kind of works back off towards the south and I'm like, crap, you know, and um, this button buck comes back out and he pushes a, an adult doe out in the field underneath me. And I'm like, what's going on? Like he's pushing this doe and, you know, and um, so then the doe's out in front of me and the button buck's behind me and she kind of gets squirrely and kind of runs back in the timber underneath me. And I'm like, something's, something's weird here. Something's going on. And uh, they, the button buck in the, in the doe, they run off to the east and I can't see him anymore. And all of a sudden I look up and I just see a beam and I see antlers coming at me. And he's kind of like, almost like he got spooked. I don't know if the doe and the little button buck kind of horsing around spooked him a little bit. Right. But he kind of like comes in trot and he stops at like 18 yards. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I got one window right here. He's going to, he's going to be right at this scrape at 12 yards. I had to get him behind this branch. I'm in an oak tree and I knew I could go to full draw. And when he got behind that branch, he was walking. Then I went to full draw and I just kind of matted him a little bit. And he stopped and I, I punched him and he runs in like in two bounds. He's out in the middle of a, of a bean field. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I, my initial thought was I hit him low. Like I thought I hit him a, a little too low. I, th- I felt like it was good, but like too, maybe a little low. Right. And, um, so I wait for like 10 minutes and I'm like, I gotta get down. Gotta get down. I gotta look at this arrow. The arrow dude. Oh my God. The arrow did not look good at all. <laughs> not good at all. And right when I started looking at the arrow, it starts downpouring again. And I'm oh. like, crap, like this is not good, you know? And it had like, fat film on it and the veins the veins were like bred from blood but i'm like this sucks i back out call one of my good buddies that's got a dog and i'm like what are you doing today he's like i'll come right now you know just wait for me to get there long story even longer maybe another one of my buddy buddies comes out with me and and we get to point of impact and the dog gets right on it and He's the dog's going and 43 yards from where I shot him, he died. I, I actually took him right through the front shoulder and took his heart out. Oh, wow. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, it was about an inch or so to the right of where I thought I hit him. Um, and, but yeah, it was perfect. Walk right up on him. I'm like, oh my gosh, That's he's, crazy. uh, he's done dude. And that was, that was buck number one. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's a uh, dude. It's good to have buddies that have a, that have a dog, dude. How nice is that? Oh, it's so nice. Cause he helped me last year as well. Um, on my buck here in Michigan, I got shot a deer and him and I tracked and tracked and tracked and, and he ended up finding it with the dog and it was still alive and it was a whole ordeal. But, um, yeah. dude, I love it. I mean, shout out to Taylor. He's going to come on my podcast. We've, we've got to do one. We just got to get hooked up and he's good. He's good. He's only been doing it for a couple of years, but him and his dog Mace, they are freaking awesome. It's awesome. I've never, yeah, I've never used a dog. I mean, not that I'm looking forward to the day that I have to, um, right. But, you know, I like watching dogs work just in general, and it's got to be kind of cool to watch them just kind of get on a track and or on a trail and go. It is, yeah, for sure. Nice. So that was your first. That was your first Michigan buck, and that was on the thirteenth of October. And then yep. Michigan is a two buck state, right? That's like yes, because yep. yeah, it's not like an earn a buck thing, right? It's like you get two yep. buck tags, right? And so you got this second Michigan buck, dude, and this thing is just. A magnum. So, did you did you know of this second deer at all? Had like you ever laid eyes on him, trail camera pictures or anything? Never, man. Um, this this is the weird thing about this. Um, this deer, 
I'm still to this day trying to track down somebody that has pictures or history or anything with this deer. Hmm. Um, there's, uh, there's, I'm trying to think here. There is a big hunt club around me that I know all those guys really well. And they've got, I wouldn't even venture to say how many acres they have. And they, they run like 30 cameras, if not more. And they, and they have not one picture of this deer. Um, hmm. I, I don't like, I have cameras in, you know, the two sections around where I killed them and I glass all the time, dude. Like I would see a deer like this right? and I, I nobody, nobody I can find. I've actually been seeking out neighbors that I've never talked to before in my life just to be like, I'm just looking for someone that, because to me, that's knowledge. It's like, right. okay, where's this deer been holding up for? I haven't, I pulled his teeth. And he's at least three, but I, yeah, I think he's four for sure. Um, he looks the body like was dude. huge. Like he, yeah, he's a, he's a big body deer. Yeah, and honestly, the way, I mean, he could be a three year old, but I really don't want him to be a three year old because that is like sad in a way for a deer to be that big and be a three year old here in Michigan. I know it can happen, but right. like, I'm like, man, this is what we could have if it just gets some age, you know? Yep. Um. But yeah, so like I, I, I have not one history, not one picture, not one nothing of, of this deer. So how did you, so what, did, how did that day kind of play out? Because this was later in October, right? This is the 21st, 21st of October. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's, yep, still it right around, it's still right around those dates that are like, man, those are the magic dates. I'm telling you. Yeah, exactly. So my whole plan was there was a big weekend coming up. And honestly, I hunted a couple times after the 13th after I killed that buck, but I'm not going to lie to you, dude. Like my season was like set. Like I, I shot a deer, like I'm good. I'm still going to hunt, but I'm like that weight's lifted. You know how it is. Yeah. It's like that weight's lifted and you're in your, you can kind of coast. Mm-hmm. I wish I didn't say coast, but you well, can everything, like, everything after that's gravy, you know, and you, and yes, like, and if yes. something comes up with the family, it's like, you don't feel torn because you can't be in the timber. It's like for yeah, sure. For hundred percent. Yep. So my dad, you know, my dad's 65 and he's still into bow hunting, still shoots a vertical bow and, and loves to bow hunt. And he's actually kind of like getting back into bow hunting more. And I really like to see that because like, he's the one that taught me how to bow hunt. And, right. you know, he kind of, as, as he got older, life happened too as well. And he kind of didn't hunt that much. And now he's kind of getting more back into it. So he doesn't hang stands and you know, I don't want him to hang stands to be honest with you, because I just don't need him falling out of a tree. Right. And so at our family farm and he goes, Hey, we need to get a stand down by the Creek. And there's a Creek crossing in our family farm on edge of a cedar swamp and there's good doe bedding in there. And he's like, you know, do you think you'd go hang a stand kind of deal? He didn't ask me like that, but I was like kind of implying it. But I'm like, yeah, I'll go hang a stand. Yeah, when, so when your dad, said, whenever your dad, whenever you uh, pass the age of like 25 and your dad says, hey, we, <laughs> we need one of those things over here. <laughs> what he's really saying is, is like, hey, uh, hey, dude, why don't you go do this? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So the weekend I had, I can't remember what I was doing that weekend. I, I forget, but. Uh, I couldn't do it the weekend. I was probably working on my house, I think. And um, he wanted to hunt all weekend because, you know, it's his favorite time too is that, you know, 10 days leading up to October as well. And um, he's like, I need another wind option. And I'm like, yep, like I'll do that. I said, I got to stand and everything. And and uh, he wants to saddle hunt. But I said, we need to learn a little bit more about, we need more time in the saddle and everything. So he's still in set stands, which is fine. And um, 
So I said, I got to take Peyton to school and I'm going to leave right from school and I'm going to head right up there and I'm just going to hang the stand. I know what tree it's got to be in and I'll get it done. So I leave taking my daughter to school and I, I go right up to the family farm and, um, and I hang the stand. And actually my buddy the night before shot a really good deer and he was trying to get a hold of my other buddy that he didn't know to get the dog and go out and track. So as I'm hanging the stand, you know, I've got my lineman's rope around, I'm hanging sticks and he's, I'm trying to text both of these guys, like trying to coordinate, like, Hey, this is where you can meet this guy and stuff right, like right. that. And, um, I finally get this stand hung for my dad and I go down, I'm like, I'm going to make a mock scrape right here. It's a perfect little pinch. And just to kind of like a little bait pile in a way, you know what I mean? Right, might right. get a deer to stop. And just a little candy. Yeah, exactly. Somewhere exactly. you like give him a spot to like, Hey, what's that smell? Get him to stop for yep. a second and get a shot. Yep. Yep, exactly. So I make a mock scrape and I'm like, you know, I should probably climb back up in that tree because my dad's probably going to want a video just to see how it looks because it's looking over a clear cut. And uh, so I'm like, okay, I'll get back up there because I'm like, I got to get back home. I got to do some work. It was kind of a big work day for me. And I don't like going into the weekend with having, you know, loose ends not tied up. Right. So I'm like, I plan on going home and working the whole day. And uh, so I, I get up in the stand, I take a video, I send it to him. And he's like, thank you so much, you know, and and uh i'm leaving and i'm like man i'm going i'm going back home but i you know i got a i got a permission piece that's not too far from my house and i'm like man i could slip back there i wanted to move a camera uh on a different scrape and because i'm just trying to gear up for like the rut like you know these deer are going to start hitting the scrapes later october later october and i'm like i'm going to go move move this camera it's going to take me literally 10 minutes and it's not a far drive from my house i'm going to do that so as I, I think there's some details that happen and you'd have to go back and listen to one of my episodes. <laughs> um, I know I'm cutting out details, but, um, I was, I was fighting with myself whether I just go home or do it. So I, I, I'm like, I'm just go do this camera, go move it. And, uh, I can drive right to the camera literally and pick it up. And then I was going to walk a little ways in and just to not booger things. And a close family friend of mine, a farmer, and I'm going to preempt this right now. I would never have killed this deer if it wasn't for this farmer. Like I owe all the, all the kudos to this, this farmer and a family friend of mine. I, I pass him going to the farm on his tractor and he's got a fertilizer spreader and he's just going to fertilize one of the fields. And, uh, I pull into the farm and I'm driving back and he's calling me and I'm like, man, he doesn't call me like all the time. You know, so I'm like, and I'm actually on a phone on the phone with another buddy. And usually I'd be like, Hey, I gotta, you know, I'm just going to let that go and I'll get back to it. But I'm like, you know what? He doesn't call me a lot. I'm going to answer it. So I answer and I go, Oh, he goes, he goes, Hey, I just passed you. And I'm like, yeah, he goes, man, there's a pretty big deer in in my field over here. And it looks like he might be hurt. Hmm. I'm like, okay. You know, and I'm like, I'll, I'll come over there. And this family friend, he's a, he's a hunter. He's a, he's a rifle hunter. Uh, but just a farmer, you know, yep. he's, he, he likes to hunt, but he's not really into it. Like we are, you right, know what I mean? Right. He just likes seeing big deer, you know, and, and all that stuff. And so I peel over there and he's on the side of the road and looking out into his bean field. And he's like, he's right there. He was bedded right there. And so I get up on the tractor and I'm on like, I'm on the fender of the tractor. I look out. He's like, can you see him like right down that bean row? And you can see his antlers. And I look and the deer turns his head and I'm like, said in my head, holy shit, who is that? You know what I mean? I'm like, wow, you know, like right. that's a big deer. And uh, he goes, I think he's hurt. So the deer at that time stands up and he does have a limp to him. Mm-hmm. And it looks like it's on the back, like somewhere in the back he's limping, but he's getting along. All right. 
And he's like, I think you should go out and like kill him. And I'm like, really? Like, you're okay with that? And he's like, yeah, go, you know, go ahead. So I'm like, well, I don't have my, I had my bow with me, but I didn't have like my release or anything. I don't know why. Right. I'm like, well, let me run home real quick. And I said, will you stay here real quick and just watch me? He's like, yeah. So as I'm leaving, I look out in the field and the deer is like, he's up and he's walking towards the fence row. And I'm like, I got to hurry up. So I go home. I literally throw my sick of fanatic hoodie on. I've got like the Wrangler stretchy pants and I've got my like crispy boots on. And I'm like, I guess this is what I'm rolling with. Like, right. I grab my bow, my release and my binos. And I put my binos and I'm like, this is all I need. And I had fingerless gloves as well. And so I get back there and, and he goes, by the time I get back, he's like, he, he bedded down. He's still in the beans, but he's like, I can't see him. And he's like, I can't really tell you where he's at because I didn't see him bed down, but I know he's out there. I'm like, all right. He goes, you have fun. I got to go do some work and just, you know, let me know how it goes. Like, all right, sounds good. So I kind of drive up to this, this fence row and it's a, it's a east west fence row and I'm coming in from the east. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the deer, the deer is on the north side of the fence row and the wind is out of the, it'd be the southwest. So the wind is perfect for me, but the problem is there's no wind at all. Like maybe three, four mile an hour, maybe. But it was frigid cold that morning. So like the frost is still kind of in the ground and the ground's like wet. You know what I mean? So like the leaves aren't crunchy. So I start walking up this fence row on kind of the south side of it. And my whole plan was to try to try to find this deer through the fence row and make a play that way. Or maybe I could shoot him through the fence row. Well, I was sadly mistaken that that was going to (laughs) happen. And so I I get about halfway up this fence row and I'm starting to glass and I'm like, it's so thick. Like I got to get on the other side. I got to get on his side. So I find like a deer trail and I just get on my hands and knees and I just ever so slowly just start, you know, hands and knees, belly crawling to get on his side. And the fence row is probably 15, 20 yards wide. I finally get on his side and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in this kind of like taller CRP grass where it meets the beans and the beans are still standing. Okay. And, uh, so I'm like thinking in my head, okay, the wind's coming out of the Southwest. He, if he's sitting or, you know, you know, laying like deer, like big deer should lay, he's going to be like probably facing me or, you know, he's, he should be facing Northeast and his back should be to the wind, as I'm thinking. Right. I spend like 20, 25 minutes on the glass. And I'm like, I, I told myself, and the biggest thing that I have to, I'm not good at stalking deer. I've I stalk, tried to stalk two deer, and I've actually been successful at it both times. But the thing is, the thing that I'm not good at is patience. Patience is the biggest thing. And I'm sure Jared Sheffield would probably tell you, tell, tell you the same thing. Yeah, you and me both, dude. That's my biggest hang up. Like I screwed <laughs> up more hunts like in open country by being aggressive and not patient enough. So I've been, yeah, 100%. For sure. For sure. So I spend like 25 minutes on the glass and, and finally I pick up a tine and he, and he was kind of like licking himself, just grooming himself. And I'm like, oh my God, he's right there. So he, I figured he was probably at, I don't know, 80 yards or so. And he was off of the fence row about 20 yards. So he, he, he was in the shade. There was a big like oak and maple tree right there that was just shading that part of the field. And I was like, okay. And I, and I could see how he's laying. He was laying exactly. He was facing Northeast. I was coming in from the East, but he was like 
his head was on my side, if that makes sense. He was, he yep. would have been laying on his right side. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, shit, I really gotta, you know, be careful here because I, and I can't shoot him at 80 yards. Like I gotta get closer. And, um, so I just start, I start creeping and I soon figured out that my quiver on my bow was just a, a bad idea. So I took my quiver off. I knocked one arrow and I, I kept an arrow in my hand and I left the quiver. And I'm like, if I, if I get two shots at this deer, oh my God, like right. if I miss the first time, then I probably don't, don't deserve this deer. So it took me a good while. Like it's cold. I'm, I'm muddy. Like my hands are freezing, but I'm just like belly crawling. And then I'd, I'd make it 10 yards and then I'd, I'd look up and then I'd lose them. Cause like you, you change that angle a little yep. bit. And it's I'd so, have to it's pick so hard up. on the ground, kind of like keeping keeping track of them, dude. It's it's ridiculous. yes, yeah, so hard. So, and I'd spend five minutes every time I'd stop just to like where'd he go, you know? And then I pick him up. Well, I could see every time I could see when he turned away from me, and that's when I would like get kind of get on my feet, like almost like duck waddle or duck crawl, and that's when I'd like pick up ten yards at a time. Like when he'd move, like I'd I'd get up a little higher and I would just just go, you know, get yep. ten yards. And then get right down. I did that a couple times and it helped out a lot. Finally got to the point where I'm like, man, I got to be top pin club here. Like I'm, I'm, I'm tight. Like if he gets up, I feel like I'm within top pin and my top pins 20, Mm -hmm. 20, 25, I can shoot. And so I figured I was at 25 yards. Like I'm glassing him and I'm like, I'm trying to be Levi Morgan here. I'm, I'm like picking out beans, like bean rows. Like, okay. Like that bean row is this and that next row is a certain distance from there. So like I figured 25. Right. So I'm sitting on my knees and I put one of my gloves down. I put my cam on the glove and I just, I just clip my release and I'm just, I'm like, I just got to wait for him to get up and I'm facing him, but I'm kind of hunched over because the beans are, you know, they're not like Illinois beans. They're right. like Michigan beans, <laughs> like <laughs> knee high maybe. Right. Right. And um, this deer, you know, when I left him, when I saw him walking, I mean, he did have a limp to him, but I'm like, man, he's, he's grooming himself. He's, you know, scratching himself. Like this deer is alive and well, like this deer is, you know, he's got his wits about him. And, um, so I'm sitting there, it took 57 minutes for him to get up and about four different times he would like kind of rock in his bed. And then I would try to go to full draw and then he wouldn't move. He was just kind of repositioned himself. Yep. Well, dude, that one time, you know how cows get out of their bed and they like kind of put their head down close to the ground, they get up. Well, you know how deer do it. So when he did that, I just went to full draw. And when he stood up, he was facing me. And I said, the whole first thing I said is, holy F, that deer's <laughs> a lot closer than I thought I thought he was. So <laughs> I'm like, I'm right on top of this deer. And he gets up and I, I shoot a Garmin sight. So like I can hit the button, I can range him and it says 18. And it kind of kind of said in my head, I'm like, no way. But then I'm like, I look outside of my sight and I'm like, no, he's 18. Like he's, he's close. Right. And he's, he's grooming himself and he does one of those big, like shakes, like shakes off, like, you know, his whole body moves. And I put it, he, he gives me his left shoulder. He's not like directly facing me. He's kind of quartering to me. Uh And I put it right in front of the front left shoulder and he kind of swings his head and he kind of like catches me. And when he catches me, I just touched it off. And I saw the arrow physically go through his whole body. Like I see my, my knock go off. And it comes out of his body and I see it flying through the bean field. 
and I'm like, oh my god, and he peels out of there like a deer that you know what I mean, like yeah. oh god, what just happened? He's running on four good legs, and <laughs> right all of a sudden, he has four good ones. That's <laughs> exactly. And I've had other deer do that too. That's weird, but as he's like peeling out of there, I just had an intuition to like go to my next arrow. Like maybe I can get another shot. I knew it was a I knew it was a fatal hit, but I'm like. I'm going to go for the next arrow. So I grab it and I knock it and I clip my release. And as I clip my release, I look up and he's like turning to look back at like, what the heck was that? He didn't even know he was shot. I don't think like just he heard a bow go off or heard something. And he turns and I'm like, oh, my God. And I went to full draw. And I said to myself, if you're going to let me shoot you again, I guess I'm going to shoot you again. And he was completely broadside. I put it on him. It was 26 yards and I touched it off and I, I took him right through the heart. Oh, man. And then he just kind of peels off and just falls about 15 feet from there. And I'm like, and then I, I get up and I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> like, it's one of those things that like, li- like what just happened? I, it was like a pinch me moment. Like, huh? Yeah. You know what I mean? And dude, I, I, I don't know. I walked it. up on him. I lost it. I did. I, I may have threw my bow. Um, I called, <laughs> I cut my wife's at work. She's trying to text me and I can't, the whole time I'm sitting there on this deer, like I can't respond to a text. So she's like, what's going on? You know? And she actually texts me cause my wife, she's like, she asked me every morning, like how drop off, go at school. Like how's Peyton this right. morning? And I look down and I'm like, as I'm waiting for this deer to get up, I'm like, I should probably respond to her. Cause if I don't respond to her in like 10, 15 minutes, she knows like, okay, something's going on. So all I did is I I took my right hand and I didn't even look at the phone and I'm like, I just typed in awesome with one hand and I looked down. I'm like, oh, that seems right. (laughs) I hit hit send. It was spelt way wrong, you know, and um, she's like, she'll get the point. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, my classic response is just the letter K. (laughs) Yep. 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 We're good. Yep. Yep. So, man, you walk up on this deer and what are you thinking, dude? Uh, he's a lot bigger than I thought he was. <laughs> I knew he was big, but he is, he's a lot bigger than, than what I thought he was. And, um, immediately I went to like, what, what's the injury? Like, where's, where's he, his back leg was broke, um, at, at the knuckle. Um, but it wasn't, it, there was no pus, there was no swelling, there was no blood, there was no, he, he would have lived with it. Um, right. I had some buddies come and look at it as well. And they're kind of the ones that brought it up. It's like, dude, he would have lived with that thing. Like that's nothing. That's like hardly even an injury. And I'm like, I know, but you know, and then when I caped him out was like, maybe I'll get the real story here. And dude, and like nothing. Like, I think he got hit by a car. Yeah. I uh, Okay. I feel like he did with the leg break, but then I, I don't because dude, there was no bruising. Right. There was no, like on his, all of his meat was good. Like, mm. you know, it was weird. Yeah, that is that is weird. Because that was the first thing I thought, too, was like, maybe he got clipped by a car, you know? But. Yeah, and, you know, his, his brows were broke off. The one brow, you can count as a point. The other one is broke. You can see it's a clean break. But not any of his other tines were chipped, mm. no nothing. So I'm like, how does he break his brows if he gets hit by a car? Like, right. you know, it looks like some breaks that would happen in a fight. Honestly, it could have been a fight. I don't know if it would have been. Um, I don't know, man. Jury's still kind of out on that. Dude, that's a bananas hunt, dude. Like, that's just... Yeah. That's just crazy. The fact that the farmer... Like, and you're right. Like, that that old boy there, whoever that is, that's a good family friend right there. You know? Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that's awesome. You know, like, just, hey, there's a buck out there. You should probably go kill him. 
Like, yeah. well, I think I will. Thanks. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, dude, and he knows that I, uh, I thanked him like a ton and I'm like, I, you know, I told him, I was like, I, this wouldn't happen if it wasn't for you. And I appreciate that. And that's one of those things. Like I told you, like the availability that I can have, like yeah. you know, a lot of, a lot of people can't do that. Like with their jobs and stuff like that. Like I, you know, I value that a lot and it's, you know, I spent the whole Friday, like, <laughs> but I will tell you, I did come down to my office that night and I worked until about one o'clock in the morning to kind of make up for like, that's just what it goes with it, you know? Yep, so exactly, dude. What, uh, did you, uh, have you, uh, did you put a tape on him at all? Just out of curiosity? Yeah, I did. So as is right now, he's 132 gross. Nice. Um, but you know, I, that's why I want to try to find somebody who's got pictures of him. Cause I want to know how big his brows were. If you put four inch brows on him, he's at 140, you know, right. he's, I, I honestly think he's a 140s type deer just because his frame and his mass, his bases were over five inches, you know, right. and then he carried his next mass measurements to like four, four, like threes, right. um, just a toad of a deer. The picture makes him probably look a little better than he is, but I'm telling you, he's still, he's a dude, damn he's, good deer. Yeah. He's an awesome buck, man. Like that's a kill. That's a killer yeah. buck, dude. Like, dude, mm-hmm. when I, whenever you, uh. I, you and I talk because this is how long we've been trying to schedule this podcast. We were talking during, yes. during what this was, what this was going on. And uh, you sent me a, a picture in advance, dude. And I was, I was super stoked for you, dude. Cause that's, <laughs> but I, yeah. I didn't know the details behind the hunt. So this is the first time I'm kind of hearing it, dude. And that just makes it that much better, dude. So, yeah. But uh, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't be happier, man. It's that, that deer for my area around here. Like it, I wouldn't say it's a once in a lifetime deer, but that's, that's a deer that, I mean, I'm 35 now and I've been hunting my whole life. I think this is my 21st season or something like that. And it took me that, that long to shoot a 130. Like that's right. my first 130 in Michigan. Yeah. That's so, awesome, dude. What, uh, yeah. what's your plans for the rest of the season? Are you going to lay low or are you, uh, what are you doing? Trying to get my wife a buck. Honestly, you she's, go. you know, she's a hunter as well. So we went out the other night, um, rifle hunting and I have, I've got this deer. I nicknamed him CJ. <laughs> uh, the reason you might be able to put the, the dots together, but he held his velvet really long into September. I mean, almost in October. And I wow. thought he was, I thought he was a doe. Um, so I named him CJ after, you know, Caitlyn Jenner. And, uh. um, <laughs> you know, nice. so I'm like, man, he'd come out in the beans. And I'm like, why is he, he, it's still like pristine velvet in like September 28th. I'm like, is this thing like a, and he kind of had a weird funky rack and he's only a six point, but he's like 17 inches wide. And I'm like, what is like, you know, and uh, my wife's uncle back in the day, he shot a like 115 inch eight point that was a was a was in full velvet in November that I don't think had nuts. I think it had everything but nuts or something like that. So I'm like, maybe it's one of those kind of deals. So I nicknamed him CJ. Nice. (laughs) And um whether that's good or bad or I don't know, but that's first thing in my head. So it is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And uh. So that deer steps out and he comes to 80 yards and my daughter's with us. It's the second time she's ever come hunting. And my wife's like, I don't know if I want to shoot him. And I'm like, and I'm like, I'm not going to force her to, but I'm like, are you sure? You know, Peyton's with us. Like it's a, it's snowing. It's like a beautiful snow. And I'm like, he's just eating right there. And she's like, no, I wouldn't be happy with him. I'm like, all right, your hunt, you can do you, you know? So those are my plans is try to get her a deer. But you know, right now, seems like every buck is shot with a gun already so i don't know what's still out there yeah yeah so well man it's uh i know we've been chopping it up here for 
getting close to an hour and a half. I want to be sensitive to your time. But uh, before I let you get going, buddy, why don't you uh, let folks out there know where they can find out more about you, where they can follow along with what you have going on, and where they can find and listen to the podcast. For sure, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, so I run a podcast called The Fall Podcast, which Clint you know, alluded to early in the podcast. Um, you can find it on Spotify, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts. Anywhere you download your podcast, you can find it. Just search The Fall Podcast. Um, I'm on IG, The Fall Podcast. Same thing with Facebook. And then the YouTube channel uh, is The Fall Podcast on YouTube. I've got old hunts on there. Um, and you know, I try to film a lot of my stuff. And and so there's some good hunts on there, but I'm trying to ramp up my content on YouTube as well. So coming this in 23, there'll be even more content on there. So yeah, that's where you can find me. Um, yeah. So I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, you bet, brother. And uh, let's, uh, let's do this again soon. And uh, maybe one of these days, I'll make it up to your neck of the woods. For sure, man. Thank you, Mike. Thank you very much, Clint. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Spartan Forge, Exodus, and Skull Brew Coffee Company. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.